The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and coming to you from Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, you, you boys have been on the road a good bit. I uh, figured it out yesterday. I, I've spent the night in five states in seven days, and uh, I'll make the trip back to Start Vegas later today, and the next time that I leave will be when Mississippi State plays a road football game, uh, you know. Barring anything unforeseen, but uh, it's good to be with you. I am in Arkansas. Yesterday, uh, my granddaughter, uh, Lillian Reagan Robertson, was born. Uh, 9.03 in the morning. Let me think here for a second. Uh, 18 and a half inches long, six pounds, one ounce. That's her. And a uh, very, very, very special young lady. Uh, made the trip up here and uh, very glad to be able to do that. I'm two for two own grandchild births. I've been here. I guess I got here after she was born, but uh, I've been here on the day of their arrival. And uh, what's interesting, I think I shared this with you guys before. You know, Dana and I had trouble having kids in the beginning. As you guys know, we lost our first child. He was stillborn. We had Ani and then uh, lost another uh, child, Lily. Her name was Lily Diane. And uh, Ani called me several months ago and said, hey, Dad, like your permission to name uh, our new baby Lily if uh, she's a little girl. And so we, Dan and I were overjoyed, as you could imagine. And um, yeah, and I, I say this with as much candor as I possibly can. You know, it's, it's very special to see your children become adults. And then to see them be very special adults is, um, is something that's difficult to describe. And so... For him to consider, and I get emotional thinking about it, for him to consider the loss of our family and to be able to honor his sister that, uh, that did not live uh, is very special to us and shows what a special young man he is, but also, too, that his wife, and I say he's a young man, he's you know approaching 30 now. Um, so uh, you may hear some kids in the background. That'll be his oldest daughter, Vivi, and her cousin, Baby Curtis, that is their playing. So I don't know how long we go today. I'm just trying to get a show up and uh, kind of go over a few things, but also, too, I want to spend a little more time with my granddaughter. I got there yesterday, uh, walk into the, uh, I guess it's Northwest Arkansas Medical Center, and uh, there's my son holding his daughter, and then uh, I quickly grabbed her up, and next thing I know, Ani says, Daddy, you know, you've, you've been holding her for an hour, and I think she made one peep the entire time, but uh, I think that I held my newest granddaughter longer than I did my oldest granddaughter. Uh, at any point. So uh, it's a great experience. I would uh, highly encourage you to have grandchildren if you're, you're able. The thing I've learned about grandkids is they don't stay long enough. But uh, a wonderful addition to our family. And uh, I will tell you, I'm tired. I, I'm, I am tired. Yes, it is uh, the morning hours on Wednesday. But uh, your boy is a little road weary. So uh, we'll get home and uh, we'll get ready to play the University of Alabama on uh, Saturday. That's an 8 p.m. kick. Uh, we'll, should be a near-capacity crowd. There'll be a lot of Alabama people there. Probably a good day for us to take a picture because uh, very reminiscent of uh, some 
pictures of days gone by when we either played Arkansas or, or Alabama, and we, you know, the tents are similar, you know. Uh, but be that as it may, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough outing for the Bulldogs. We're going to uh, preview that game on Friday's show, and then we'll do our Nick Saban top ten list. Today's top ten list is going to be a cl- classic rock band, one of the early prog bands. I don't know if people even consider them prog because it's changed so much, but uh, they were the forerunner of what you enjoy today is uh, progressive rock. But uh, excited to be with you. We're going to kind of take a look around the SEC. Some big news around the conference too, and. Uh, I have not been able to attend media opportunities this week, but you can find full coverage over at jeanspage.com. Be sure and uh, check out all of our coverage over there. Most of our team coverage is free, and certainly all the videos we do. And I don't know that anybody does the videos the way we do, including the university. Uh, we get out and make it happen. So uh, you can find that, your one-stop shop for Mississippi State news about athletics at uh, jeanspage.com, the 247 Sports Affiliate. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I'm looking forward to getting back. I may go eat there on Friday. Not sure yet. Not sure. I may not want to take up a table for you guys that are kind of coming to town for ball game weekend. I may uh, wait and go early next week. But uh, I love going in there to dine. You know, I'm, listen, I'm the kind of person, I don't like a lot of mystery in life, especially when it comes to dining, right? That's not when I, I travel. I always try to eat local. I'm willing to try something new. But I know what I'm going to get when it comes to Bulldog Burger Company. I know more times than not before I get there what I'm going to order. I know the quality of service I'm going to receive. And I know that the food that I'm going to receive is going to be absolutely delicious. So I don't leave anything to chance when it comes to my dining experience when I go to Bulldog Burger Company. It is a great place to eat, a great place to work, a great place to spend uh, time with friends or family. No matter what your needs are, Bulldog Burger Company can accommodate you. Three great locations to serve you, University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area, and you just never know. You just never know. There may eventually be another Bulldog Burger Company location, and maybe they come closer to you. You just simply don't know. It's a a thriving business. And uh, for those of you that have eaten there as regularly as I have, and maybe that's asking a lot, uh, it's a love affair, man. It really is. You, you, you kind of, again, you know when you go put your feet under their table what the experience is going to be like. And so uh, go enjoy that as soon as you can, as often as you can. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, so interesting. I, I wanted to go through a few things. You know, we're not going to preview the uh, the weekend just yet, but uh, I want to go over a couple things. There will there could be some changes. I know many of you keep up with the betting lines. I'm not a gambler. When it comes to college football, you know, I make a play blackjack every once in a while uh, just for the fun of it. But uh, I'm not a person that gets out here on the Internet and bets a bunch of money on college football. I've been burned on that before. Right. Uh, I never bet more than I can lose. And anything that I lose is too much in my mind. I work too hard for money. So but uh, there could be some shifting of the lines in some respects here. Now, one of the games I think is interesting, Florida and Kentucky. And Kentucky's favorite at home by one. Uh, that's going to be interesting. You know, Kentucky 3-0, and Florida 2-1. and You know, Florida loses that early game to Utah, and everybody kind of gives up on the Gators. They bounce back and beat Tennessee, and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe they've righted the ship. And then they had that abysmal offensive performance against Charlotte. You know, I think it's going to be a good game, and, and I'll give you my pick on Friday. But I think that this whole – Kentucky-Florida thing, it's a toss-up there ever was one because I don't know if we know how good either of these teams really are. 
Uh, but the uh, the current line on that is minus one for Kentucky. Get a little bit deeper here. This line I expect to change. Texas A&M and Arkansas. The Aggies uh, currently favored. It opened at six. Minus six in, in the eyes of some books. And then the news out, Connor Wegman is out for the year. That's the starting quarterback for Texas A&M. Now, there's not a huge drop-off between he and Max Johnson. But there is a drop-off. There's a reason Wegman won the job. He was the better quarterback. And I think you're going to see that line probably change a little bit. Arkansas obviously won in two, but uh, played well enough to win last week. You know, they lost two in a row. And, and again, what's going to happen with Sam Pittman? Like, if they don't make a bowl game this year, and, I, again, I think they will, but all of a sudden you look up here at the schedule and you begin to think, you know, this thing can run off the rails pretty quickly here. This game in, in the Jerry world has been really, really good the last couple of years. It's one of those games that I, I, I enjoy to watch because of the fact that it's two teams from the West that we're going to play. But it hadn't always been a harbinger of things to come in the season. But if you begin to think about the fact that Arkansas may lose this game, and Arkansas could be one in three at the end of September, you remember initially I picked them last in the West. And then I, then I kind of talked myself into thinking they'll find a way to beat Auburn. And Auburn will be last in the West. Also didn't expect us to have some of the struggles that we've had. Hopefully we could ride the ship. But uh, that's the thing about our schedule. There is still a lot of parity in the league. But when I look at this A&M thing, I thought A&M would be better than us. I thought A&M would be probably third in the West this year behind uh, Alabama and LSU. Now all of a sudden you look at the fact that they're going to have to play with their second-team quarterback and, yes, he does have some SEC starts under his belt. But I think you could see some change here for certain. And if you're Arkansas, I think you probably probably would rather face Max Johnson than Connor Wegman. All right, getting a little bit deeper here in the league schedule. A lot of games uh, around, the, the, around the, the nation this weekend that are going to have some intrigue to them and a lot of SEC play, obviously. Uh, so you're going to see, kind of begin to see some separation uh, within the league. Georgia is at Auburn. Auburn, of course, two and one. You know, the, the road win at Cal was big for them because you need to win every year to non-conference games if you're the Tigers and try to find a way to get into a ball game this year. But two and one, and you got Georgia coming in. Now, Georgia hadn't played exceptionally well as of late. They've won. You know, they struggled against South Carolina, and then, you know, they, they just have not looked dominant. You know, we had this same discussion last year, though, early in the year. It's like, well, you know, Georgia won the NFL championship, and they're kind of stumbling around. Georgia could be had, and then they kind of found their groove midway through the season. They're favored by 14 and a half on the road at Auburn. And you begin to think about how big it'll be for Auburn. It'll be a capacity crowd. Just don't know if they have the dudes for that ball game. But uh, I don't think that that line changes much. But, um, yeah, I mean, that Auburn-Georgia rivalry has been one of those games that over the years I've enjoyed watching because uh, there's so many of the uh, – there's so many kids that come from the same recruiting footprint. You know, Auburn recruits well over in the state of Georgia. So there's a lot of kids, obviously, that uh, grew up playing with and against a lot of guys that play for Auburn. So it's always been an intriguing game. It's been, it's been one of my favorite cross-divisional rivals. Uh, since 92. Missouri's at Vanderbilt. Big line here. Missouri favored by 13 and 13 and a half, according to most books. And uh, Vandy, now one in three. You know, they play all those games at the beginning of the year to kind of get a head start. 
they're running out of non-conference opponents, right? And so you start thinking, okay, well, where are they going to get wins from? You know, I don't know how you fix the situation at Vanderbilt. You know, if I did, I guess they'd hire me, right? You know, when James Franklin was there, they did a great job recruiting. You know, his uh, energy was just absolutely infectious, and you got people involved. But uh, the people of Vanderbilt, I guess maybe they have so many, you know, entertainment opportunities. You know, Vanderbilt football is just not high on the list. And even when Vandy's been great at baseball, you know, we went in there in 21 as a team that won the national championship, and we were on our way to win a national title. There weren't hardly any fans there. And, of course, the ones that were there were subject to, uh, if you see somebody wearing, uh, not wearing their mask, please text this number with section, seat, row seat, number, all that good stuff. But Vanderbilt's not going to have a lot of athletic support. I mean, you could go see the Titans. You can go to the Grand Ole Opry. There's a million things to do in Nashville. You get the Predators and all that kind of stuff. I need to go up there and check out a Predators game. I think I'd like to go do that. I've never been to an NHL game. I've been to an ECHL game. Went and saw the Louisiana Ice Skaters play a couple times. But I've never been to a real hockey game, NHL. And uh, i got a lot of friends that say how great it is. You know, I don't know. I have a Chicago Blackhawks jersey that I wear on Christmas every year in tribute to Chevy Chase. But um, we need to go check out the Preds at some point. But, uh, yeah, this is a big line in Missouri, 3-0. and And now nationally ranked. I don't think they're as good as maybe the early results indicate. Maybe I'm wrong. LSU and Ole Miss. Uh, guys, I lived in, L- in uh, Baton Rouge for 16 years, lived in Louisiana for 18 years. And uh, if there is a rivalry between LSU and Ole Miss, uh, most folks connected to LSU don't know about it. Now, the Ole Miss people will tell you these are our rivals, and that's really just kind of level jumping. You know, it's just the truth. Back in the Johnny Vault days, of course, they played a couple meaningful ball games, and it's like, well, that's our rival. Uh, you know, I think in order for this to be a rivalry, the other team has to care. And it's, it's ironic. I remember some Ole Miss fan base media types were talking about how if Ole Miss won the Egg Bowl, just leave the trophy there on the field. The same year, the same year that, that, that you know, craziness was kind of making its way around, LSU beats Ole Miss and then leaves the Magnolia Bowl, uh, you know, vacation Bible school project trophy on the field. That is the worst trophy that is ever, ever been featured in a game between two Power Five teams. There's nothing to feel good about. Any Whoever, like, well, the, well, they designed this specifically for the game. Burn their number. Okay, lose their business card. That is a joke. And if I hurt your feelings, good. Because anybody that would trot that thing out there and think that's something that but worth playing for, you're kidding yourself. But it's interesting if you're LSU, too. You know, you also got the battle of the boot with Arkansas. They tried to make that a rivalry. And, and I can tell you the people at LSU don't care. They want to win that game. They expect to win that game. And you could put a trophy out there. We're trying to make it a bigger deal than it really is. I, I can tell you, as a guy that lived among the Tiger faithful for many, many years, they do not care about a trophy between them and Arkansas and them and Ole Miss. They don't care. You know, they're playing for something bigger. They're trying to get into the New Year Six or in those days back into the BCS and have a chance to play for championships. They're not worried about a traveling trophy. Simple as that. Their marketing people will tweet something out, you know, and their media relations people will kind of keep tabs and all that. But I can tell you, by and large, the people that are truly invested in LSU athletics absolutely don't care. Uh, LSU, a road favorite in that ball game, I don't think that game is going to be nearly as close as some others do. I don't. Uh, South Carolina and Tennessee, 
So I, th- I think we, and I wrote this earlier, I think we made South Carolina look a bit better than they were. Not to say that they didn't deserve to win the ball game. They did. They made the plays to win and we didn't. But I think when you go back and look and break the game down like we did on Monday, Mississippi State shot itself in the foot a few times. And now you got to go and play Tennessee. It's going to be interesting. I think the line may come down a little bit. But um, Tennessee certainly the favorite in the ball game. And of course, Alabama, Mississippi State. You know, guys, how can you pick? How can you pick State? I mean, let's just be honest about it. We love each other. We can be honest with each other. Do I expect a competitive ball game? I do. I just don't know. You know, if we have the speed offensively uh, to make this thing competitive, uh, I don't. And uh, there are so many people that say, "Well, you know, Ole Miss is better offensively than Mississippi State," and maybe that proves to be the correct over the course of the season. Uh, Ole Miss couldn't move the football against Alabama with any great regularity either. And so I think we're going to have to hit some big plays and have to have some help from them to get it done. I just don't know if that's going to be the deal or not. But um, that's how the early betting lines look. Let's take a look at a couple other things uh, before we get into our top ten list. Uh, You know, even when we have a season that maybe is not what we need it to be, there's always some shining stars out there. But – uh, Woody Marks no longer leads the Southeastern Conference in rushing. He is second, though, and he's had two games that have, not, have been kind of pedestrian. Uh, but Cody Schrader from Missouri now leads the Southeastern Conference in rushing with 403 yards. Woody Marks there uh, at 352. Uh, just behind him is Trevor ATN at the University of Florida. And former uh, Vandy running back Ray Davis is fourth in the league with 314. So, uh, Woody's right there. Do you expect Woody to have a big game against Alabama? I don't, and that's not just being negative. I'm being real realistic. Maybe he creeps over 400 yards this week. Uh, I still think there's a chance for him to get you know, at or near 1,000 yards, but uh, we've got to figure out some things on the offensive line. It's This is not an indictment on Woody. The fact that he's still second in the league, considering how poorly we blocked for him uh, the last couple of weeks, is um, is remarkable. Your top passing quarterback in the Southeastern Conference is Jaden Daniels at LSU. Of course, he had a big game against us. Just behind him is A.J. Swan, who, of course, has played another game. Spencer Rattler, you know, State's uh, last weekend's opponent, 1,242 yards. So, of the top three quarterbacks in the league, and if you look at it game by game, the top two quarterbacks in the league for average yards passing, State's already played them. Now, you could argue that maybe those numbers are skewed because State has been so bad in the secondary. But, uh, you know, we haven't seen – you know, a lot of quarterbacks at this point this year outside of southeastern Louisiana, you look at and say, you know what? Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. 
Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. We were decidedly better. Even Jaden Delora, of course, had a big game against us. Uh, receiving yards, uh, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina leads the SEC. Malik Neighbors second the SEC. There, there you go again, right? There you go again. Top two receivers in the league. You've already played them. But, again, maybe they're the top two receivers in the league because they played us because we couldn't cover them. The number five receiver in the SEC with receiving yards is Tulu Griffin at 388. Outstanding, outstanding effort. Uh, this weekend's opponent, Alabama, has got a couple, a couple of top pass rushers in the conference. Dallas Turner at linebacker leads the league with five sacks. Chris Broswell is tied with Tennessee's Tyler Barron uh, with four. Uh, coming up fifth in the SEC, I guess technically tied for third, but the fifth name listed is uh, Buki Watson from Mississippi State. Jet Johnson's already uh, surpassed his uh, sack total from a year ago. And speaking of Jet Johnson, Jet currently leading the Southeastern Conference with 45 tackles. Uh, second to him is Jaheim Thomas from Arkansas with 43. C.J. Taylor from uh, Vanderbilt, third in the league at 37, but again, by virtue of another game. So that, those Vanderbilt numbers will skew down. Bookie Watson currently listed fourth at 36. Of course, Jeff, big game last weekend uh, against South Carolina. Debo Williams with 31 from South Carolina is uh, is fifth. Let's get inside some team numbers here, and they're not going to be pretty. But, you know, that's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and just glaze over all this and be like, okay, well, things are just okay. No. All right, let's look at uh, total offense here. Leaves what I've got dialed up here. Yes, total offense here. Uh, Mississippi State 11th in the SEC in total offense. The three teams that are behind us are Arkansas, Auburn, and Alabama. Did you expect that? 
You didn't think Alabama would have the worst offense in the league. That's why you look at this weekend and think, you know, you got a competitor's, a puncher's chance to make this game competitive. You know, at some point, talent shows up. But this has not been an Alabama offense that we've seen like in recent years that sets the woods on fire. And you think about how, at times how bad State's been on offense this year and to think that Alabama's been worse. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, Alabama offensively is averaging 364 yards per game. Mississippi State's at 388, Arkansas 384, and Auburn 371. Let's not forget the, the big offensive game that Arkansas had last weekend. You know, new offensive coordinator. It's interesting to you look at all four of these, and not, the, not that they're the only four, because, you know, A&M's got a new offensive coordinator too, but they're sixth. But State, Arkansas, Auburn, Alabama, the four bottom teams in the Southeastern Conference, all with brand-new offensive coordinators. Yeah, it's true. A top passing offense used to be us. It's currently Vanderbilt, but that's in gross numbers. If we look at it at passing yards per game, it's South Carolina and Spencer Rattler, the number one passing offense in the Southeastern Conference with 340 yards per game. Number two, LSU. Then it's Georgia and Ole Miss, and then down to a and Missouri. Vanderbilt is seventh in yards per game, and your Bulldogs are tenth with 245 yards per game. And, of course, a lot of that came last weekend. The uh, four teams behind Mississippi State, Arkansas, not a big surprise. They're a running team. They've had to throw it a little bit more than they wanted to this year. And then Tennessee, did you think Tennessee? Well, you know, of course, they don't have handed hooker anymore. But a lot of people are trying to sell us Joe Milton was the, you know, the second coming of uh, Hendon Hooker. He's not. Alabama, passing yards per game, 203. Auburn, 173. So you start doing the math here. Again, you, all these teams, you know, we're going to play some of these teams, and they're, they're kind of similarly situated as us. Let's look at rushing yards per game. We won't look at gross numbers. We'll look at the average here. Uh, the number one rushing team in the Southeastern Conference, who's your guess? I, I can't hear you. No, seriously. It's Tennessee at 229 yards per game. And Joe Milton's a part of that, too. The threat of Milton running, of course, kind of opens up some things for others. Auburn, second in the Southeastern Conference in rushing offense. LSU, third. Again, this LSU offense is more than just a one-trick pony, but also Jaden Daniels is a key contributor to the running game. Florida is fourth. Alabama is fifth. Georgia, sixth. Missouri, seventh. A&M is eighth. Arkansas, nine. Ole Miss, ten. Mississippi State right there with Ole Miss. Uh, just about four yards separate the two of us. Ole Miss, ten. State, 11. Kentucky. 131.5 yards per game. Vanderbilt is 13th. And South Carolina, 14th. Right where they were last week. And they still had a decent game against us. They went from, what, 53 yards a game now to 75. That's the, dis- the biggest disappointment to me last weekend is uh, we didn't do a better job with all of that. Then, of course, we lost a football game, right? If we had won it with three field goals, I'd, I'd be okay. We won the game. As far as scoring offense goes, and again, we, we'll go by average numbers rather than gross. Uh, LSU, highest scoring offense in the conference. And just behind them, though, is Ole Miss. And those two play each other this weekend. Could that be a high scoring game? I, I don't think so, because I think Ole Miss also is riding how scoring, you know, 70 points plus against Mercer. So it skews the numbers in many respects. And you go, you know, look at what they've done in uh, SEC play. Of course, we're just getting started, it's coming down. 
Uh, Georgia, number three, A&M, four. Kentucky, five. Arkansas, six. Tennessee, seventh. Vandy, eighth. Auburn, ninth. Mississippi State, tenth. Tenth in the SEC, averaging 30.75, nearly 31 points a game, 30.75. And just behind State is Missouri, Alabama, South Carolina, and Florida. You're hearing Alabama's name mentioned a lot. They are not where they need to be offensively, despite the fact they have some talent, they have a new scheme, they've uh, changed quarterbacks now multiple times. You know, I, I think this is a team that obviously State can play with. But in the end, it's difficult when the other team has more talent. State's going to have to do some things schematically to make this thing competitive, for sure. Uh, looking at some uh, defensive numbers here, Vanderbilt, of course, because of the extra game, leads the league in tackles. Ole Miss, 316, right behind them, Mississippi State at 315. Uh, that's the thing, too, leading in tackles as a team, not necessarily the best thing, just because of the fact that um, it means you're on the field a lot. Leading the league in sacks, the best pass rushing team in the Southeastern Conference is Tennessee with 16. Your Bulldogs down there at night. 10 sacks as a group, but behind us, LSU, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia. Yeah, interesting, right? Alabama is fifth. Uh, Interceptions, the top pass theft team in the Southeastern Conference, Georgia with seven. Vanderbilt also with seven, but again, by virtue of another game. Arkansas with six, and that's a revamped secondary uh, at Arkansas. Auburn expected to be really good in the secondary. They have been. They have five interceptions. Mississippi State has four. We're tied right there with Kentucky, LSU, and uh, South Carolina. Of course, uh, we contributed to theirs last week with an ill-advised throw, uh, but that's football. Alabama, way down there at 11th. You say way down there, Steve. Yeah, it's three. It's one different between what we have. And so the, there hadn't been a lot of separation, but you look, it's, there are a couple of anomalies that you look here. Florida and A&M, both with just one interception on the year. That, that, that's interesting to me. Maybe you see it differently. You know, I remember last year we all said, you know, man, what if we just had a kicker? Well, we have one, and uh, he's made uh, good use of his opportunities. Uh, Kyle Ferry, you know, six of seven on the year. And, um, you know, a kid that's coming here as a freshman, done, done a really good job for us. But uh, looking at field goal percentage, the most field goals made are A&M. And a lot of that's because you can't finish drives. They've had 11 attempts and nine makes. Uh, The only only two teams that have been perfect, I guess it's not, it's more than two. There's a lot of teams that hadn't kicked many field goals. Auburn, Kentucky, LSU, and Alabama are all perfect in field goal attempts. Alabama, among those teams, has the most. Seven uh, makes on seven attempts. And Mississippi State tied with Vanderbilt there with uh, six out of seven. So, you know, Kyle Ferry, obviously, in position to – Position himself for some postseason honors. I just hope he gets to make some meaningful kicks. The worst field goal kicking team in the conference is the two-time defending NAFL champion Georgia Bulldogs. And I'm sure their fans, if you go to their message board, you're like, what is it? How can we not get a kicker? Well, we have one. We've got a great one. Uh, but, again, it's kind of a small sample size. But you look Missouri 6 of 9 this year. Uh, that'll be interesting. But um, – you know, I think when you look at where we are and where we've come, we can feel good about special teams. And it's funny that the special teams only matters when you're, you know, when you're losing close ball games or winning close ball games. 
were kind of quietly putting together a really good special teams here. Hadn't meant a whole lot. We've wasted some good field position. Uh, but I wanted to go over these numbers, and we do that occasionally just to kind of let you know where the Bulldogs sit. Uh, we're not what we need to be offensively. I did think we took a, a, a very positive step. We've made a couple of bad decisions. I think our play calling at times is a little bit suspect. But, again, I don't know the play that was called, but you ask yourself, that's our play call? You know, uh, We did some things that were a little bit confusing at times. But also, if note, we um, – you know, we scored 30 points last week and left, you know, probably 14 more on the table. So hopefully we're kind of trending in the right direction and Barbe is kind of getting a sense of his personnel, what he needs to call to put them in a position to be successful. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. This is a tough team to get right against. That's Alabama. It always has been. And usually when we have played well against Alabama is when we've had a senior-laden team with some momentum at home. Well, we do have a senior-laden team. We are playing at home. I just fail to see any momentum right now. But would I be shocked if State makes this a serious ball game? Absolutely not, because I think Alabama is somewhat vulnerable. That's why we need you to be there with your cowbells. We don't need you to give up on the team. We need you to turn out and be a part of this, because you just never know. I remember back in 1996, people were ready to fire Jackie Sherrill. We found a way to beat Alabama. We tore down the goalposts that night and then went on to beat Ole Miss the next week and ended the season going in the right direction. And then from 97 to 2000, we had a really good stretch with Coach Jackie Sherrill as our coach. And so – uh, don't ever, ever think it's not worth showing up for because you never know when you may see something historic. Time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people that are in the mortgage business. Blair's a pro. Blair gets things done. Blair is a guy that can get you from stress, anxiety, a dream to the closing table. That's why you visit him at CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, CloseWithBlair.com. It's more than just a crafty name. 22 years of experience in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back-to-back years. You can trust your mortgage just about anybody, but do you really want to trust somebody that's brand new? Nothing against them. But when you're working with something as important as your home, stick with the winners. Give Blair a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Whether you're looking to refinance, whether you're looking to buy a home, uh, look no further than Blair Chandler, a guy that gets things done. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right, it struck me yesterday that uh, I don't know that we've ever done Kansas. Now, I love Kansas. I have uh, been to the state a couple times, but uh, we're speaking more about music. You know, and before there was uh, Dream Theater, before there was Yes, before there was, you know, I guess you, you dare we say it? I mean, are you, are you willing to say it? I am. Before there was Rush? Yeah, I'll just say it. There was Kansas. They are really the forerunners of progressive rock. They are. I mean, you you look at the songs, you look at the song composition, you look at the lyrical content, you look at the instrumentation. Kansas, in many respects, they're the OGs of progressive rock, and not just nationally, but internationally. We haven't given them their due on this show. We've mentioned them a few times. But uh, if you've ever seen the, uh, I guess it's uh, Miracles Out of Nowhere documentary on Behind the Music, you can find it on YouTube. It is incredible. 
It is absolutely incredible. If you're a fan of Kansas, even peripherally, it's worth watching. So today's top 10 list involves Kansas. Now, I, there's a couple of honorable mentions. I didn't put Song for America on there. I know a lot of people love that one. I'm just kind of indifferent about that song. It's good. It's just not as good as the rest of the songs. We also don't have all 10 songs from the classic Kansas lineup. These guys obviously have aged, but Kansas has become an institution. Uh, there are still two original members in Kansas, and that's uh, drummer Phil Earhart and uh, guitarist Rich Williams. Been around a long time. Uh, those two are still around, and so there is. it's not like uh, a nostalgia act. This is a band that uh, still has recorded some new material, uh, but Kansas has been around, man, and I don't know that they get enough credit. Formed in 1973 in Topeka, Kansas. They have had nine gold albums, three multi-platinum albums. Those include Left Overture, four times platinum, Point of No Return, four times platinum, and then, of course, their greatest hits collection, The Best of Kansas, also four times platinum. Uh, they, their other solo, their other platinum album is Monolith, and this is kind of when things, in, in the beginning, things were kind of getting going. They've also had a double live album called Two for the Show uh, that has gone uh, platinum. So... They've sold a ton of records. They are a huge part of the American music scene. So today we celebrate the music of Kansas. Number 10 on our list is, uh, you know, from a more recent album back in 2020, it's The Absence of Presence. And it's a couple of new members in the band, but still true to the old Kansas sound. And uh, I, I think, again, I listened to Kansas the whole way to uh, Arkansas yesterday when I wasn't listening to Dateline Podcast. This song, Throwing Mountains, is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it is the hit on this album in many respects. But I think you're going to dig it. I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, it's kind of anthemic in many respects. And uh, lyrical content, very, very, very interesting. Number nine, a great track, a relationship track, uh, What's On My Mind. I dig this one, too. It starts out as a young beginning. She tells him she, he's not the right one. And next thing you know, uh, they're in love. You know, maybe that's happened to some of you. Maybe you've gotten some resistance early in a relationship and then found that uh, she really was the one. But uh, great track, What's On My Mind. Number eight on the list. This is one of the great carryover songs live a lot of people love this one really kind of got it started for them back on the self-titled album kansas it's can i tell you that's your number eight track number seven it's not a pink floyd cover it's a great track called the wall much different instrumentation very very different uh probably a kansas song it doesn't get enough recognition again that's the wall number seven one of the best rock songs in a catalog and uh, Carrie's guitar riff that opens this things up. Really, Kansas is a rock and roll band. And we talk about them being a progressive band, but a lot of the stuff that Carrie wrote, who was the primary songwriter on, are really a little more of an edge to it. And this is certainly one of them. It's the great track, Fight Fire with Fire. That's uh, number six on your list. Uh, number five, a song that many people know and probably don't know the, uh, the title to it, but it's Hold On. Great, 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 great song. Love the vocal on this. Uh, Steve maybe doesn't get enough credit for, as a vocalist. When you talk about those bands from the 70s, a lot of people, you know, they, they say, well, you know, there, there, there's Robert Plant, who is the, the standard of which everybody's measured by, but not too terribly far behind him uh, is Steve, for sure. 
And it's always good to know another Steve. That's your number five track, Hold On. Uh, number four on the list, the title track from one of the great Kansas albums, Four Times Platinum, it's uh, Point of No Return. Absolutely love this one, you will too. It's You, know, you start ranking these songs, uh, probably outside of the top three, you could make a case for a lot of different tracks. But this top seven, these are my seven. Now the final three, we can argue about the order. I don't know if there's really much of an argument to be made. I know some people could get up and make the case. The first Kansas recording that I ever purchased was a 45. Yeah, 45. Yeah, for you young bucks that all buy vinyl, you used to have vinyl singles that had an A-side and a B-side, thus the term B-side. So you'd have a single that was the A-side, and the B-side would be kind of a, a deep track or a throwaway track from the album itself. And it was an encouragement. You would sell the 45, and hopefully people would like both songs, and then would in turn buy the full LP, which stands for long play. Yeah, in case you didn't know. But it's play the game tonight. I absolutely love this song. I think it should be uh, something that we play at Davis Wade Stadium, uh, the Hump and Duty Noble Field. I think play the game tonight. Anytime we have a night game, I think this should be part of our pregame playlist. It is a song that – is very, very, very uplifting uh, for a lot of people. And it starts out, of course, with this great melodic piano, and next thing you know, you're on a roller coaster. And uh, if you don't know the song, I encourage you to pick it out. Number three. Now, our top two songs are two of the greatest songs ever recorded on American Soul. And you will get few people that will argue against that. Number, Number two on our list... The genesis of the song, uh, Carrie is sitting around working on a fingering exercise on the guitar. He's just sitting around. He'd had a bout of tendonitis, and he's playing, trying to get his finger stretched out. You know, it's a common ailment for guitar players. And the next thing you know, Steve walks out and says, hey, play that thing again you were playing. He'd already written some lyrics to it. And he goes, what? What are you talking about? He goes, that thing you were doing on the acoustic He said, the fingering exercise? He goes, whatever it was, man, just play it again. And then he begins to belt out the lyrics to the classic track, Dust in the Wind. One of the most profound songs ever recorded in the history of American music. It is a worldwide hit, Dust in the Wind. Because all we are is Dust in the Wind. Of course, uh, made famous again in the great Will Ferrell movie, uh, Old School, with Vince Vaughn. Great, great movie. Number one, though. Now, I'll just call it for what it is. This is my favorite song of all time, without question. And a lot of it is not just because of the lyrical content, the story behind it, uh, but it's the, the the hooks. I mean, it's like every lick that Carrie lays down in this track is a hook. There's a lot of songs out there. You need some signature riff, but Carrie On My Wayward Son is a song that is filled with incredible guitar play. What's amazing about this is that when if you've watched the documentary, they got ready to record the album, and uh, nobody had anything. And so basically what happened at night is Carrie would write a new song. Every single night, he would go sit down and write a song. Steve didn't have anything. Usually other people had, had things, but this time, uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't have it. And so you begin to ask yourself, you know, 
well, guys, we've booked all this studio time to record the album Left Overture. What do we do? And every single song on this album was written and recorded basically on site. And what's incredible about that is they thought they were done with the album. They thought they're done. Everybody's packing up. And then Kerry speaks up and he goes, guys, I got one more. I think I've got one more. And remember, they're packing up gear. They're ready to call it done. They're ready to be finished recording this album. And Don Kreishner, of course, really believed in his band, but they had not had the big breakthrough single. They had uh, done a good thing, had been out and sold out some arenas and put on some good shows, but they didn't have a signature song yet. And then in the final moments of the recording sessions for Left Overture, Carrie lays down the track that became Carrie on My Wayward Son. What a remarkable story. And the music engineer was, and producer were so enthused, they called Don Kreisner, who owned Kreisner Records, and uh, played it for him over the uh, telephone. And they're like, this is it. This is the song we've been waiting for. It's one of the greatest songs in the history of American music. And uh, read earlier that in 1995, it was the second most played song on American radio. And then in 1997, it was the most played song on American radio. How cool is that? It just goes to show you how timeless this song is. And uh, the, again, on their fourth album, you know, a lot of record companies would have, have dropped Kansas by this point. It became the first top 40 single. Uh, didn't even make the top 10. But here we are now, nearly 50 years later, paying tribute to this great song. And uh, I think every young man, in some respects, in the words of Kerry Livgren, uh, uh, fashions himself as a wayward son. Uh, I've got the uh, criminal record and the documentation to prove it. But it's just, again, one of these songs that um, you just keep living, man. You just keep pushing. You don't let life beat you down. And he talks about in the end, there'll be rest when you're done. And so there's so much of that that I think is important to understand. And uh, what's interesting, too, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, the band that I was with in the early 90s, Savello, recorded uh, the only album in the band's history at Studio in the Country in Bogalusa, Louisiana. That's the same place that Kansas recorded uh, Left Overture. Studio in the Country, uh, we should probably do a top 10. Now that I look at this and think about this, uh, Studio in the Country, an incredible studio that produced some amazing work. I think maybe there's, um, maybe there's a top 10 list here for, uh, for us, Roy. Maybe we go back and look at all the great songs that were recorded at Studio in the Country in Bogalusa, Louisiana, and, um, and put a top 10 list together and kind of pay tribute uh, to Bogalusa. And for those of you that lived in South Mississippi, you know, we used to go to the 3G Daiquiri Depot just across the state line there because uh, it was $7 all you could drink every Wednesday night. And they lost money on me every Wednesday. But uh, yeah, that may be an idea for us. Maybe next week we come back with that. Be pretty cool. But yeah, to think about that for a second, that uh, Carry On My Wayward Son and then Dust in the Wind were recorded in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Pretty amazing. A little bit of tribute for you there. Band from Kansas shows up in South Louisiana, not in New Orleans, not in Baton Rouge, not in Shreveport, or even Alexandria, in Bogalusa, Louisiana. It's amazing. 
It really is. And many of you have been to the uh, Washington Parish Fair, you know, go down to Franklinton Fair, which uh, is just down the road there from Bogalusa. But uh, an incredible, incredible band uh, with an incredible history. It's still playing today, still selling out arenas all across America, even though it's only two original members in the band, because, you know, people still want to hear these amazing songs. And uh, two original members are still there to help provide that. They've, you know, provided, you know, some guys to join the band as guys have retired from touring. Uh, but Kansas, an American institution when it comes to progressive rock and really just rock and roll in general. So I hope you enjoy our list. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can hit him up with me, too. I can't promise you that I'm even going to see it. Uh, but that's that's why I say go to Roy first, because I, I do get a lot of notifications, a lot of messages and uh, sometimes I don't see things for a while. But if you do get them to me, I'll do my best to uh, screenshot them and get them to Roy. Uh, but, yeah, Roy's a guy. I'll hit him up. Hey, what's your idea this week? And Roy always has a lot of good ideas. And um, and so we'll get to them eventually if we can't. There are some bands out there I can't do a good list for, and I don't want to disappoint you. And, and there are times I may ask you, well, how about you give me your top five, and then I'll work around that, and we'll we'll collaborate. But uh, people hit me up all the time asking for lists. Hey, Steve, have you done this band or that band? And we have, and we're happy to provide those lists for you. Listen, as much as I travel between podcasts and playlists, you know, it kind of provides a soundtrack, you know, for the, for the trip. And so, and many of you have shared with me, as you travel with business or whatever, you, you've enjoyed the Boneyard. And uh, I have so many people that make it to Starkville for a game, or I'll meet them at a road game. And they say, hey... Steve, you're my connection to Starkville, and thanks for what you do. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I do it. You know, I began doing this show in the beginning uh, really just for the fun of it. I never knew that it would become the enterprise that it has, and it's become such a huge part of my life. It used to be a 25-minute show uh, twice a week, and now it's 90 minutes three times a week. I don't know if we go 90 today. You will see. But, uh, but all those things said, you know, we love to be able to bring you the news about Mississippi State directly to you. And uh, I look forward to being back in Starkville and uh, having media opportunities. I'd, I've had a little bit of a break and a hiatus here. So that's one of the reasons I hadn't talked extensively about uh, our media opportunities this week. Because I'm not one of those kinds of people. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, so-and-so look good at practice if I don't go to practice. And then there are some people that do that in our industry, right? Well, the reports were getting out of practice, and they don't have the heart to tell you they didn't go. You know, there's some beats out there. We have some guys on our beat that work really hard. Uh, but there are some beats out there. They don't go to practice. They just kind of depend on secondhand information. We have to rely on that sometimes, too. But nothing will ever replace in-person evaluation and the things that you observe yourself. Even if you don't know a lot about football, even if you don't know the ins and outs, you can tell when a guy's playing well, right? I mean, you, you don't need to be an analyst to see that one guy uh, is having a good day at practice. And so, But you're not going to know that if you don't go. And so – I just maybe it's an integrity thing. Maybe I'm too hard on myself, but uh, we, that's why we're not talking a lot about what Zach Arnett had to say this week. I wasn't there to ask him questions, and I do miss being there. It's one of the things Leach used to tell me. He said, "I always know when you're there. I'm going to get a good football question." And he told me one day, "Don't miss any more press conferences." And I said, "Coach, I'll do my best." Uh, it's, it's rare that I miss, but uh, this has been a very eventful stretch, obviously, in my life. You know, last Monday we left. Um, Drove to Knoxville and then got on a plane Wednesday morning to go to San Diego for the uh, convention for True Rest. 
And uh, look for a feature tomorrow in the Starkville Daily News featuring the lovely, talented Dana Robertson. Uh, she was interviewed earlier today by uh, Grant McLaughlin, a business reporter for the Starkville News, doing a feature about uh, our new business. And um, But I went out there and learned a lot. And uh, I'm looking forward, though, to kind of getting back into my normal routine. I, I'm, again, I'm an addict. So I'm a creature of habit. So... I don't like change. I'm very resistant to change in many respects, but change is a part of life, and that's what recovery has taught me. So I've got to be able to embrace change and just kind of move forward with all this stuff. So so uh, this week we'll play the University of Alabama, and then next week we'll be right back uh, doing our regular routine, which will be wonderful for me, and we'll talk more extensively about that. And uh, Friday we'll preview the weekend and we'll break down uh, Alabama just kind of let you know what to expect, what's coming. And this is an Alabama team that's got some question marks. They do. And that's the thing that's so frustrating about this is like this is that Alabama team. You don't get this team very often. You don't get that Alabama team that may be ultra-talented but not very cohesive. And you get them at home. Could you imagine playing this Alabama team with that 2017 Dan Mullen team? you probably win that game going away. Could you imagine playing this team, you know, with last year's team at home? I suspect you win that game too. But you didn't play this year's Alabama team. You played last year's Alabama team. You know, a team that uh, nearly got in the playoffs. And that's the thing about this weekend you look at. It, it's, it's so frustrating because you, you would like to think that we were playing better and had some juice going into this game because this Alabama team can be beaten. They can be. You know, does it all come together for us this weekend and we win one for the ages against, you know, a top 15 team? I, I don't feel it. I don't rule out that possibility because I think uh, Jalen Milrow is a guy that uh, I think he is very limited in what he can do. And if you let him out athlete you, it could be a problem. But if you force him to be a quarterback, you got a shot. You got a shot. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You should, too. Uh, be sure and check them out next time you're in town. Neatly positioned on the backside of campus. Uh, you take that turn off 182 at the State Trooper Station. Follow it on around. Campus Bookmart there will be on the left. Park the car, go in, and uh, go spend some time. And if listen, if you've got commuter students, you don't know if you know this, but your commuter students can park for free at Campus Bookmart. They've got a, a you know, gravel lot out there to... You can just park and walk to class. Yeah, wonderful, right? You don't want to deal with parking? Cool, there you go. Park off campus and just walk over there. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the folks at Campus Bookmart. They've been fantastic to me. They'll be fantastic to you. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks, any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. All right, as you know, uh, basketball practice uh, underway now around the country. And uh, a lot of expectations within our fan base for Coach Chris Jans in year two, and certainly same for Sam Purcell. And I think there are a lot of people today that are maybe a little more bullish on the men's side. You know, last year was the complete opposite. We said, you know what, the women should be an NCAA tournament team. If the men make the NIT, that's probably uh, the best we could hope for. But then all of a sudden – about halfway through the year, you start thinking, we both should make it, and they did. And I think, again, I think Chris Jans probably in year one, and I don't, I don't mean this as respectfully as I can, I think it's going to be the worst program he has at Mississippi State. 
And that team still made the play-in game for the tournament. So I think it's important. Uh, now, we're not going to have everybody available in a non-conference schedule. That's all, you know, that's just kind of how it is this time of year, right? There's always some guys that are kind of banged up and guys that have off-season procedures and things like that. So there'll be some guys who won't be 100% when the season starts. Uh, but as you guys know, we're going to open up uh, against Arizona State in Chicago, Illinois. Our Justin Frommer will be there for the Barstool Sports Invitational uh, covering uh, for Gene's page. And uh, we're going to try to do more road men's basketball. <clears throat> That's one of the things that um, I remember. Yeah, I guess it was Jag Mangum that motivated me to do more road baseball. You know, David would occasionally go around, run down to LSU if we were playing for anything meaningful. Most of the beat would head over to Tuscaloosa. But uh, nobody went to every road game except for me. And uh, I remember the first year that we did it, David and I discussed it with some people at the university and said, you know what, this is the first time we believe in university history that every Mississippi State game was covered by the same media entity. And so we were happy to, to obviously make uh, those trips. And, uh, and, of course, in 2021, we were treated with an Eiffel Championship a trip to Omaha. Now, of course, in football, we do home and away, but we've never done a lot of road basketball. Uh, Robbie has done some road women's basketball, of course, when, uh, when things were really flying high under Vic Schaefer. But on the men's side, we haven't done a ton. And uh, so we're going to look to add more of that to our coverage, and it's going to get started with the season opener against Arizona State and Chicago. Frommer will be there uh, for us. That's November the 8th. When you start working through all these things, you know, what, what should we expect this year from this men's basketball team? I don't know uh, if there is a lot of uh, big men in the country they are going to be able to get the better of, of Tolu Smith. Now, is Tolu a first-round pick? No. I don't think anybody would suggest that. But he should be, and certainly could be, one of the best big men in the country. And uh, I know they're doing some different things. I, again, I hadn't attended practice. I'm just telling you what I've, what I've heard. Uh, they're doing some different things with him, but they know what his game is. And everybody understands what his game is. And this is a guy, really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it's not just the fact that he was healthy last year. I think he played in an offensive system that played to his strengths. And now that uh, Chris Jans has another year with him, as you hear these uh, children screaming in the background, I apologize. But uh, it is what it is. But we're going to go as far as Tolu can carry us in many respects. But when you think about what you have back and how you feel about this team, I think it's right to be excited. That's the thing that I go back to the beginning of this. And I know we had uh, you know, a lot of discussions you know, about you know, Portal and how things should go. But I, the, the, the name that I keep hearing, of course, is Josh Hubbard. And, and I hear that Josh, of course, is also kind of being the good teammate, too. It's not just a guy that's just coming here trying to get volume shots. This is a guy that's done a good job for us uh, and really tried to integrate himself into the team in the right way. But uh, it's a good roster. And, again, you know, I trust Chris Jans when it, turn, when it comes to evaluating guys that fit his system. I mean, this is a guy that's one in places that um, you know, traditionally don't win. You know, it's the truth. Uh, DJ Jeffries, can we get him under control a little bit when it comes to three-point shooting? There are times that you guys know DJ sometimes a bit of an emotional shooter. You know, maybe we get beat on defense and we try to get it back and take an ill-advised three. When DJ plays within himself, you know, he is a guy that uh, kind of matches his billing. But getting him to play under control, I think, is huge for Mississippi State because we're going to need him to get big minutes, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, Shaquille Moore, obviously a guy that uh, we hope would come back. He has come back. 
Cam Matthews, uh, probably the fan favorite, right? I mean, Tolu's the star, but Cam is probably the guy that most of our fans maybe truly identify with because he's the blue-collar grunt guy, right? He does all the good stuff. He lays down the picks and uh, gets the rebound on the defensive end. And we saw some, some times last year where he, he had some offensive prowess that he didn't previously possess. And, again, I credit the coaching staff for kind of getting that out of him. And, of course, a lot of newcomers. But, you know, how, how good would this team have been last year if we had one consistent outside shooter? Of course, you kill more kind of streaky at times. Uh, you know, Rams Davis, you know, you got some guys that can make some plays for you. But we needed some guy to be, the, you know, that consistent guy for us. And maybe Josh Hubbard provides that. You know, maybe it's Josh that becomes the sixth man in the rotation. But, you know, we have a team, and especially when you look around the league and there should be some parity within the league, I think we feel like we can make a run at this thing. Uh, the, the picks aren't out yet. You know, they'll have the SEC media day uh, next month, and Justin Frommer's going to go over. Dave uh, considered it, but uh, Justin's going to go and, uh, you know, have my opportunity to, to talk to coaches and players. And I – this ball club will be picked in the top half of the league. I think when you start thinking about, you know, what's the low-hanging fruit for State? Well, certainly I think making the tournament should be the expectation. But I think this team is capable uh, of getting maybe the, the bye, right, for the SEC tournament. You know, if you can avoid playing on day one or day two. You know, I think you've got an opportunity uh, to be one of the top four teams in this league and a lot of it's going to depend on injuries and kind of how things come together. But I think most people see, you know what, hey, last year we might have been a little bit ahead of schedule. We expected to be better this year. But when you consider the experience that we have returning, I think you feel like, hey, this is a team, a chance to do some big things. And, you know, I look at our schedule, and, of course, there's so much of that that you can get excited about. Uh, but, you know, I think we're pretty smart in our non-conference schedule. And I'm glad we're back in the Barstool event uh, you know, Arizona State is a power five opponent, so it's not like we're playing, you know, Arizona Wesleyan or, or somebody like that. But, uh, you know, to play in a, an event like that, and you know Barstool and Brandon and those guys are going to do a great job promoting the event, and I suspect them inviting us is probably a bit of a, uh, you know, an attaboy to, uh, to our buddy Brandon Walker. So I'm glad to see that happen because uh, I think State needs to be in some of these events because we're going to be a good team. But Arizona State last year, 23-13, and 11-9 in the Pac-12 Conference. So a team that you know, was a winning team, but uh, obviously not a team that was, uh, you know, maybe a team that you expected to go win their league, but they made the tournament last year and uh, won their first-round game against Nevada and then lost a nail-biter to TCU 72-70. And so you're going to have an NCAA tournament-caliber team in the season opener. So that's going to prove to be a really good game, or should be, and hopefully it's a game that we win. But I like the fact that we're out here right out of the gate saying, you know what, hey, we expect to play, we expect to play well. And then uh, we come home for a stretch, you know, and uh, get a couple games under our belt. We head up to Unkinsville, Connecticut. Uh, That should be an event we should win, that Basketball Hall of Fame Classic. uh, Based on the competition within that tournament, uh, I would venture to say that we are better than all those teams. And we should be. That should be one we should win. And, of course, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. We've gone over the schedule before. But when you get into this SEC schedule, you start running through here and you think, okay, Tennessee and Rick Barnes, you expect them to be good. Year in and year out, you're going to expect that, right? 
because Rick Barnes is a guy that's been around, considered by many to be one of the better coaches in the country. We get that game in Starkville, and we follow it up getting Alabama in Starkville. And so the SEC opener is on the road at Columbia, South Carolina. That's a team we should beat. And then remember last year we had such a tough draw early on. Yeah, we've got a tough draw this year too, but we get the benefit of getting these games at home. Tennessee, Alabama, and then we go to Lexington. Yeah, We could make that game mean something. But don't be surprised if you look up in stage two and two after four, and I don't think it's any time to panic. I mean, you know, Alabama and those guys should be good. But we get that game at our place. And we had a really good chance to beat them at their place last year. But when you start running through the, you know, the schedule here, you begin to kind of realize uh, the SEC schedule is always very daunting. But as far as SEC schedules go, it's a pretty good one. We do get Kentucky twice this year, though. We go there and get them here. I don't know why that keeps happening. Uh, but when it's all said and done, it should be pretty good. It's interesting, you know, that, that you know, Texas A&M is in the West, and uh, I think we have played Kentucky more in recent years than we have Texas A&M. And, again, this year, the Aggies, we get them just one time in a regular season schedule. But, you know, it is what it is. And in order to play big boy basketball and prove that you are who you say you are, uh, you got to go beat some of those teams. You know what to expect from Alabama. You know Tennessee's going to be athletic, and you know Kentucky is too. Uh, the, the, those three teams probably going to be picked, you know, top three in the league, and you get them three of the first four games in the conference. So a chance for us to prove ourselves early. I believe in this team. I, I really do. We may stub, stub our toe out of the gate in conference play, but I think by the time we get into uh, the, the month of February, I think we're going to be playing our best basketball. I think we've got a chance to have a great month of February. You know, we get Arkansas at our place, Ole Miss at our place. We do go down to LSU. I'm not scared of LSU. I don't know how you guys feel. Uh, but I think we're going to have a chance to put a pretty good quality product on the court this year. And, uh, you know, we're proud to be able to cover that for you. And, of course, uh, you know, of course, jeanspage.com. That's the way to go. And, uh, again, we're going to be trying to add more road basketball into our coverage uh, this year. I think that's important to understand. Just there's not a lot of that, even by guys on the beat. There's not a lot of people, unless you're playing in Tuscaloosa or you're possibly in Oxford, the guys get out and go cover road basketball. We're going to try to, to cover as many games as we can. And if that means we have to do it by committee, then so be it. But uh, we're going to try to do our best to give you guys unprecedented coverage in, uh, in all the major sports in Mississippi State. Got some other things we're, we're talking about and talking with some people about to kind of expand the coverage too. But uh, good time to subscribe right now. You get two months of coverage for a dollar. Two months, and that will get you through football season. For just $1. And then, of course, when your two months are up, you'll have a choice to make. Do you want to be an annual subscription guy or a gal, or do you want to be monthly? Uh, you can make that decision then, or, you know, you can always cancel. But uh, come give us a try. Two months for a buck over jeanspage.com. It's a great deal. I mean, you spend more money at a, getting a cup of coffee at the truck stop than that, and you get two months of incredible coverage of Mississippi State Athletics uh, for just a buck. But uh, on the women's side of things, yeah, I saw Jessica Carter's tweet yesterday, how excited, or two days ago. She was excited to get back on the court. You know, Sam Purcell, you know, and Robbie is a guy that has covered women's basketball recruiting as well as anybody in the history of the university. And, uh, you know, Robbie, I'll tell you, I, I, I feel good about the pieces we're bringing in. And, again, last year, you know, Sam, that's a team maybe he didn't, didn't recruit, uh, but he still chose to come and coach those young ladies. You know, that, that was his decision. He didn't pick the players. 
to get him to come there, but he did pick to go coach him. And I think there's something to be said for that. And Sam kind of said as much, you know, he said, I still chose you. You know, maybe you didn't choose me, and maybe you didn't choose uh, my system, but I chose you. And I think when you look at what's coming back, and if you can get Jessica Carter going, um, that's significant. It's very significant. And we've got a very, very, very manageable non-conference schedule. I think you're going to look up, you know, halfway through the, you know, non-conference schedule and say, you know what, Mississippi State may be better than I think. And some of that, too, is going to be because of the fact that, you know, we're going to play some games at home, but also uh, some pretty ambitious stuff, too. We've got our Nashville to play Belmont. That's a game we should win handily. But we get Gonzaga in Houston, Texas, and then Liberty in Houston, Texas. So those will be some uh, games that our friends in southwest Texas, or excuse me, southeast Texas, will have the opportunity to get out and go cheer for the, ball, the, the Lady Bulldogs. It's Friday and Saturday. Uh, and then we that, that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. We get Pine Bluff on Sunday. So three games in a weekend. And we're going to need everybody out there in Houston, Texas. Johnny Hayes, I'm talking to you. Everybody down there, we're going to need you to be there. Right? You know, unless you're going to be in Starkville. But uh, for those of you that aren't traveling to Starkville, we're going to need you to be there. You know, And if you can't, hustle back and be part of that. Uh, but, yeah, it's a very manageable non-conference schedule. I think as you get ready to enter conference play, I think you're going to have a pretty good sense of who we are and what we're about. And then we're going to, you know, get into an SEC schedule that uh, you, know, you start thinking about last year and where we finished and what we brought in this year. You know, the chance to develop some chemistry before we go on the holiday break is paramount for this team. But I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, we get, we get Columbia – South Carolina early, right? We got to go to them game two of the SEC schedule. We get Vanderbilt, and then we uh, travel to take on uh, Coach Don Staley and them, a team obviously that we respect. We certainly hate losing to them. And then from there, you know, we get ten big games. Tennessee is at our place. Ole Miss is at our place to open up. Uh, LSU, the defending NAFL champions, comes to Humphrey Coliseum. We go to Lexington, which has kind of been a house of horrors for the ladies. Um, but you, you start running through this and you start thinking, you know, hey, we play some difficult games and many of those games are going to be in our arena. That's all the more reason why it's important for, for our folks to turn out and really do a great job making it a difficult place to play. Uh, I think most people see Sam Purcell as a guy that's uh, going to do a great job at Mississippi State and a guy that's very committed to this university and a guy that's doing a great job recruiting. So we may have our hands full early in the non in, in the conference schedule, but I think when you get through non conference and you get through South Carolina, I think you can reel off some wins and really put this team in a position to have back to back NCAA tournament appearances. And I, again, I, just like on the Christian side of thing, I think the best days of the Sam Purcell era are still to come. When you look at the, the level at which he is recruiting, I think you can realize too that uh, we're beginning to kind of upgrade our talent. You know, Vic did a great job recruiting. And then uh, we had a little bit of a lull there as uh, the world began to change. And uh, we had to hit the portal really hard uh, to put up a competitive team on the floor. And, uh, again, may the good Lord bless Doug Novak, wherever he is, uh, for the very unselfish and tremendous job he did for Mississippi State under very difficult circumstances after the untimely resignation of Nikki McCray-Pinson, who, God rest her soul, passed away earlier this year. Uh, so... That's where we sit today, but I think all of us can think, you know what, hey, we're in a pretty good position as we get ready to move forward on both the men's and women's basketball side. We need you to turn up and, and be a part of it. 
I know that's been a bone of contention for many people for a long time, uh, attendance, especially on the men's side. But whenever possible, please pack the car and come help us. You do make a difference. Okay, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends. I I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I think you'd have to take a look at this international auction that's going to take place here on the 12th. It's going to be here before you know it. Visit to Sterling Drive. And you maybe if you're a Google Map person, I don't know, you can check it out for yourself. I've toured this property, guys. It's 156-plus acres of incredible land. And the best thing about it is the infrastructure is already there. Lights, power, sewage, all the good things you need there, right? So it's not like you're buying a pasture and you're having to start from scratch. Everything is already there. Sewer, electricity, water, everything's good to go. And whether you're looking to maybe... Maybe you're an investor and thinking, you know what, I'd love to have a place to build uh, some multifamily properties there. Well, you've got a track right there up against 182 that would be absolutely wonderful. And you've got some other things, you know, a little bit off the beaten path. Guys, you always want to live on some water. You can do that right out here. It's amazing. There's five lakes on this property. Five. One or more of them could be yours. You just got to be able to bid. And there's 5,000 linear feet of water frontage. Think about that. And if you know anything about Sand Creek and Starkville, you get 3,000 linear feet of that property available too. How would you like to be neighbors with Mississippi State? This butts up against the North Farm. So you don't have to worry about, you know, who's going to move in next to you, right? And uh, maybe if you want to live like a recluse, you can do that too. You can buy a whole bunch of property and build your house out in the middle of the, the middle of your property. You don't have to develop it. It's yours. If you want to know more about it, I know that you do. This Sunday, following the Alabama ball game, you're going to be in Starkville Saturday night anyway, right? You're going to watch the Bulldogs play. You're going to spend the night on your way out of town. You can swing by. Again, that's 2 Sterling Drive, Starkville, Mississippi. <clears throat> Just up the street there is the pool house. That's technically 3 Sterling Drive. That's S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G. And uh, you can check it out. From 10 to 2 this Saturday. Now, the auction is going to take place on the 12th. That's a Thursday. So you've got three opportunities to see it between now and then. That's this Sunday, and then next Sunday, and then the Wednesday before. In order to bid, you've got to put a deposit up. It's a personal check, a business check, or a cashier's check. If you want to bid on the entire tract of 156-plus acres, it's going to be $25,000. You want to do one of the five tracks and say, you know what, Steve, we just would like to have a, you know, a property with a lot of land out here. In God's country, what's going to be $10,000? And of course, uh, all checks are returned to unsuccessful bidders. You know, they're not going to just take your money and just say, you know what, hey, have a nice day. No, you just put that money down to show that you're serious and you kind of move forward. Visit internationalauctionllc.com or if you have more questions, just call them direct, 888-861-0999. Again, how cool would it be to be five minutes from Duty Noble Field or Davis Wade Stadium or Humphrey Coliseum. You could tailgate at the house, right? It's amazing properties. And, and uh, the, there's the Cypress Lake out there. I think it's really unlike anything else in the greater Starkville properties. Uh, and you're going to have an opportunity to, to call that place home. So no matter if you're just looking to have a place just to kind of escape to or perhaps move your family, you're going to find it. Uh, and again, you can uh, make a purchase here by auction. And it's going to be telephone, online bidding available. It's not a situation where you got to be, you know, right there in the clubhouse. But uh, it might be fun to be 
But uh, very impressed with this. Be sure and, uh, and check it out and come be our neighbor in Starkville. Okay, so uh, we had another baseball scrimmage, and uh, we have, you know, Carson Ligon has now pitched now. And so that was some concern. Everybody's like, oh, well, you know, what's going on with so and so and so and so? Guys, everybody's pitching. Okay, everybody relax. Everybody relax. Get everybody calm down. That'd be great. Uh, Carson Ligon, an inning pitch, a hitless inning, uh, had 1K, a walk, 93 95 on a fastball, 85 87 on a breaking ball. Uh, Gage Haley is a guy that you know, we need him to kind of break through. He's a kind of a bit of a specialist. We got we got to him a little bit here. Two innings pitch, five hits, two earned runs, no walks, one K. Uh, not a big velo guy. He was sitting at eighty eight to ninety, and then eighty eight to eighty six on a breaking ball. But everything kind of tunnels with him, right? So <clears throat> he's he's not getting you so much on velo as he is kind of on location, and. Uh, and there are times he has a 10-mile-per-hour split. But uh, uh, going to need him to be a specialist at times for us. Gavin Black, of course, a guy that we signed out of JUCO late, has had some really good outings. And uh, that continued. Gavin Black, one inning pitch, no hits, did have uh, one walk, had a K, and also uh, sitting 93-94 on that two-seamer and then 87-88 on a slider. Eager to see what he can be for us because, again, he was a guy late that was just available for us and uh, ends up being a good get for us. And I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to pitch some high leverage innings for us. Tyson Harding, hadn't seen much of him in the fall. He has a uh, perfect inning. Goes one inning pitch, no hits, no runs, no walks, no Ks, pitching to contact, 91 on the fastball, 81 on the breaking ball. That's one of the things with him is getting that breaking ball on a different plane. That was one thing that Scott Foxhall kind of figured out last year, that was kind of changing his arm slot a little bit to give him a little more bite on the breaking ball. Perhaps that'll be a big thing for us. Uh, Cam Schalke, a guy that we're expecting a lot from, did not have a great outing. Uh, one inning pitch allowed, two hits, three earned runs, no walks, no Ks. How about this for a split, though? 89 on a fastball down to 68 on a change. That's almost John Harden-esque for you old-school dogs. But uh, not missing a lot of bats yesterday. But Cam, again, he's a guy, multi-arm slot guy. They're tinkering with him a little bit. Another guy we expect to have uh, high leverage innings for us. Uh, Nate Lamb pitched also, and uh, two innings pitch, allowed three hits, two runs, a walk, two Ks, sitting 92 on the fastball, 81 on the change, and uh, mid-80s on the breaker. K.K. Clark, two innings pitch, a couple of hits, one run, one K, uh, you know, he's working back from Tommy John, 92 on the fastball, 83 on the slider, and then sitting at 84, 85 on the change. Alex Walsh, a guy that I told you guys is kind of intriguing. I don't expect him to be like some dominant force, but I think that this is a guy that can help eat up some innings in relief for us. He goes an inning, allows a hit, a run, one walk, two Ks, uh, 92 on the fastball, 79 to 82 on the breaker, 81 on the change. Cole Cheatham, uh, can, you know, has not had a great fall, but certainly not a situation where you look at it and say he can't help us. He's a left-hander, and he's uh, stepped in some situations when things hadn't been great and done a good job for us. But one inning pitch, two hits, two runs, uh, 1K, 89-90 on fastball, 78-80 to 80 on the breaker, and 84 on the change. Makai Grant, we continue to talk about him. This is a guy that's got a major league arm. One inning pitch, one hit, one, one run, no walks, a K. Uh, sit 96. He hit 98 earlier in the fall. 83 to 85 on the breaker, 84 on the change. This is the guy here, if he can spot up that breaking ball, can eat up some big innings for us. Very, very impressive. 
Very, very impressive. Um, you know, kind of look at some hitting stuff here. Nate Chester, you know, Nate's never going to be a star for us, but he can be a glue guy for us. Uh, got on base three times in the game and uh, did some cool things. But uh, Steven Spalletta continues to be a freshman that always seems to show up in the box score. Now, it's just, you know, you, again, you look at this week and uh, played some in the infield. He's a guy that can play catcher, and you got to try to find a way to get him in there. Uh, he was two for three in our most recent scrimmage. This is a guy that consistently puts the ball in play. And, again, a guy that just happened to be available late for us. We needed a high school catcher. All of a sudden, he's available. But he's not limited to just being a catcher. He's a guy that can play really all over the infield. Um, probably not a shortstop, but uh, could probably play uh, third in a pinch uh, for sure. But you start working through these numbers here, and you begin to realize, you know, offensively, I think we're where we expected to be and maybe a tick ahead. But from a pitching standpoint, you know, you're still throwing um, a lot of arms here, kind of figuring some things out here. But, uh, you know, Logan Colder starting to hit the baseball, you know. Uh, so I think that we're going to be okay. The Cam Schulke thing, you know, he absolutely tore the cape up but uh, has been kind of hit or miss with us. I'm not worried about that. You know, com- competitors find a way, find a way uh, to win. And, uh, again, I'm curious to see what we do with the middle infield, you know, with, uh, with Larry and Mershon and Dylan Cop. you know. Uh, I want to get out of here, too. A couple things I want to say to you. If you hadn't done so, go to whenthebottomfalls.com, and you can pre-order the new book, When the Bottom Falls. Still don't have a release date for you. I'll have it any day. My publisher is actually out of the country. Um, but uh, you can get all the sports books there, you know, uh, Flim Flam, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains. And uh, I've had so many people that uh, have reached out to me in recent years about, hey, you know, listen, what's the next great Mississippi State book? You know, I don't, I don't know, but uh, we're probably going to call it State Greats. We'll probably the final in a trilogy of the collection of stories that we have with Villains and Alpha Dogs. Uh, not quite sure when I write it, but I've already got some of those interviews done. So there's some things that are in the can. I'm just kind of sitting around twiddling my thumbs, waiting. Uh, But the new book is very important. I've been able to go out and speak a lot lately. I'm sure I'll speak a lot more about recovery here in the months to come. Uh, But I had a chance to speak at the drug court in Hattiesburg. I forget what day it was. I guess it was Monday. Yeah, Monday. And, uh, yeah, the thing that I would point out to people is, like, um, I remember what it's like to be that guy, right, to have the opportunity to kind of turn things around. I don't want to get too religious on you guys. I don't, you know, I, I try to never like necessarily impose my religious values on you folks. But, um, but you know, the guy that I know is one of redemption. And uh, watching those people and their families in tears to watch them graduate from drug court, which is a three-year program. And you got to maintain a year of sobriety to get out, continuous sobriety to get out. It's remarkable. It is, and uh, it was very humbling to be a part of that. I had a chance to speak, uh, you know, really, really full room. But it reminds me of the brokenness that exists for so many people out there, and I was once that person, right? Uh, and I want to commend those folks to the drug court in Hattiesburg. I, I, I've spoken in a couple other drug courts. I don't know how they do everything, but I know how this one runs because Lucy Davenport, the director, is somebody that I've known for, uh, for 30 years. And a wonderful friend of mine. And I just bring that up because seeing it up close and personal and seeing these people graduate from drug court and say, you know what, this is behind me. What I tried to assure them is that uh, this is really kind of 
you know, the end of the beginning. It's not an ending. You, know, you never really graduate from recovery. You know, you, you got to continue to hold yourself accountable. You know, you don't, ha- you don't have the risk of going to jail, being violated from your uh, drug court uh, program. But it's not even about that aspect of it. But to see the hopeful nature of the families and uh, to see the tears and the look of pride and gratitude that their, uh, their loved one has found a new way to live. And so I wanted to share that with you today because it made an emotional impact on me. And I, listen, I'm a guy that wears my emotions on my sleeves. I mean, people always think I've got this alligator skin, and in many respects I do. But uh, when it comes to things like that, I'm, I'm hypersensitive. And so if you're one of those people that uh, is looking to begin again, let me tell you, you can. And if you love somebody, never, ever, ever surrender them to the drugs or the alcohol. Don't ever look at them and say, you know what? Hey, I did the best I could. I'm done. Because there is proof positive that uh, lives can change. They can. And so if you're dealing with that, I hope that you're one of them. I've I've shared many times on the show, if you have questions, you, you just need a word of encouragement, you reach out and let me know. Uh, I'm happy to provide it when I can. I'm a busy guy, but I always have a heart for the still suffering addict and those who love them. Uh, we're going to get out of here. And of course, we we'll back to our regular schedule on Friday. Uh, reminder, the Friday we'll, we'll break down the SEC weekend. We'll make our picks. We'll preview Alabama. And I'm eager to kind of dig into these numbers to kind of see where things are going wrong. But I think most of us realize it's really been about quarterback play for Alabama. They haven't been able to find a conducive under center guy, even in the shotgun or whatever, that has been able to kind of move things on with any level of consistency. Uh, and that scares me a little bit because I hope we're not lulled to sleep. Because Milrow is a guy, obviously, just like we always do, if we send the house and don't get home, he's the guy that can tuck it and go and really damage you. Uh, but I'm eager to kind of break down Alabama. And, you know, of course, we had a chance to watch Alabama Texas on replay. And I haven't had a chance to watch the Alabama Ole Miss game yet, but I'll watch it again. Uh, before Friday, probably do it tonight or tomorrow, but we'll watch that, just kind of see what they're doing offensively, what they're attempting to get done. But uh, I think it's important for us to do that, kind of break it down. Uh, Can we win this game? Yes, we can. Do I expect us to win it as of now? No. But I would tell you this, we've been in worse situations. We have a veteran team playing at home, and it should be a pretty raucous crowd against an Alabama offense that has really struggled to kind of find any sense of rhythm. Uh, if Zach Arnett and Matt Brock have any opponent-specific wrinkles that uh, are pretty exotic we hadn't put on film, now would be a good time. This is a coaching staff and a team that needs their fans to be excited. Nothing could excite everybody more than beating Alabama. And, of course, you know, hey, it's not a great Alabama team. It's a team I fully expected them to be better than they've shown on the field. I think most people did. But when you look at this team, there are some problems with this. Is it the change in offensive coordinator? Is it the change in quarterback? Or is it all the above? It could be. There's a lot to this. They, they didn't return as many pieces offensively as they did a year ago. I had to go get in the portal and get some kids. Uh, you know, so we'll see. But this could be a golden opportunity uh, for this team. Can State put it together and beat Alabama in front of you guys? They certainly can. Am I expecting it? No. But stranger things have happened. If you hadn't got Stark Villains gear yet, go to StarkVillains.com. You get the hoodies. All kids love hoodies, kind of like uh, you know toddlers love cookies. They leave those crumbs all over your carpet. This is a lot easier to clean up, Mom. Just throw it in the washer. Uh, but be sure and check it out. Go to StarkVillains.com. If you hadn't done so, go to JeansPage.com. You can get two months of coverage for one buck. 
So if you always wanted to try it out, now's a good time to do it. Two months for $1. And, of course, uh, our coverage of uh, State's ballgame against Alabama will be wall-to-wall. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.